Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapters 3 and 4. I'll begin in James 3.13 and be reading through 14.12, or through 4.12. This is kind of part two of the sermon that we began last Sunday morning. Um, It's not connected in such a way that if you missed that one, you won't be able to make sense of this one, but it is picking up where we left off and kind of carrying on from there. James wrote, Who is wise? and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? These are God's words for his church today. May his spirit give us ears to hear what he is saying to the church. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, open our eyes and our ears to receive your word. Speak through these ancient texts to accomplish your purpose in us to help us to know who you are and what you would have us to do. And then, Father, to receive the grace, the power that we need to go out and to put put into practice all that we have heard, that Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and through us. We pray in his name. Amen. So I will be dating myself, as I so often do with this, and probably also expressing opinion, which may or may not 
be universal, but near the end of the third and final installment, or what should have been the final installment, it wasn't, but I like to think of it that way, as the Indiana Jones films, there's this scene deep in this cavern where Dr. Jones is forced to choose from a table full of all these different chalices, which one he thinks might be the holy grail, the, the cup that the Lord Jesus used when he shared the Lord's Supper first with his disciples in the upper room. Now, in the film, and this is just in the film, it's a work of fiction, I'm aware of this, but in the film, he knows that if he chooses unwisely, he will die. The cup will be poisoned to him as it was to one of the other people who are involved in this plot line. But on the other hand, if he chooses wisely, he will experience healing and a prolongation of life. Now, he considers in the film the choices that are at hand, most of which are these very gilded and ornate silver and gold cups with jewels encrusting them, the very image of what many people would imagine the Holy Grail to be. And then he looks closer, and he settles on a simple wooden vessel, the sort of cup that might have been used by a humble carpenter in the first century. He drinks from it, and to everyone's relief, at least to the relief of those who were unwisely hoping for another sequel, the ancient crusader who guards the shrine informs him, you have chosen wisely. So while there were numerous vessels set before him in the same way that there are numerous paths or ways of life set before us, in the end, there were only two choices. There was the wise choice and the unwise. And the course of wisdom actually turned out to be counterintuitive to all of the assumptions that he had formed based on all of the false information that was out there in the world. In the story, Jones chose the humble option and lived. The other character in the scene chose the most ornate, bejeweled cup in the room, the one that appealed most to her vanity, and she died. And we might be reminded of Proverbs 14, verse 12, which tells us there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, incidentally, this is one of just a handful of scriptures that gets picked up and repeated in its entirety in another verse, not quoted, not an Old Testament passage that gets quoted a couple of times in the New Testament, but a passage where God is speaking to his people in Proverbs 14, and then probably just for emphasis, he picks it up and says exactly the same words in Proverbs 16, 25. One almost wonders if Solomon as he was compiling these proverbs, was getting a glimpse of what was over the horizon for himself in the way that he chose to live his life. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Regardless, as we have been making our way through the letter of James, we have seen the author lay out a very similar choice. Previously, he had introduced us to the idea of the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that God gives generously and without reproach to all who ask in faith. This is the wisdom that we need. 
the wisdom that we must choose if we are to do as James instructed in chapter 1 when he wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds where you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Well, that takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to encounter the trials and the struggles of this life and to count that as joy because we see God at work within us producing steadfastness. And it takes wisdom to carry on in that steadfastness, to let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, it was in that context, it was along with that idea, the the goal, that the goal of life is to be like Christ, to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, that James went on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, he wants you to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, And then right away he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And this wisdom that God gives, like every other good and perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So James had already established in chapter 1 that there is a kind of wisdom that comes from God. It is a wisdom that is from above. And James describes this a little more fully in our text this morning. We'll look closer in just a minute. But he also described another kind of so-called wisdom. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, he wrote, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So as I mentioned last Lord's Day, just as there are two kinds of faith, one sort that saves and one that does not, there are two kinds of wisdom as well described here in James. One that both leads to and flows from saving faith and another which does not. One that is from above and another which, to say the very least, is not. James says there's a wisdom that is from above, a wisdom that comes from God, a wisdom that God gives to those who ask him, but there is another kind of wisdom, a kind of wisdom that is in fact earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Of this wisdom, so-called One commentator has pointed out, James describes worldly behavior, and I would add worldly wisdom, in terms that progress, or we might say regress, from bad to worse. Such behavior, the kind of behavior that James describes here, is ultimately earthbound. It is of this world. It is the kind of behavior that we would expect and in fact do see in people who are not seeking to follow Jesus. It is absolutely sensual, it is not spiritual, and its origin is in the cosmic powers of darkness, which would be the most damning thing of all. This is the wisdom of this age and of the rulers of these age of this age who are doomed to pass away, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is a wisdom, and put scare quotes around that word every time I use it in this context. It is a wisdom, or a kind of wisdom, 
that is manifested in jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting about oneself. It is a kind of so-called wisdom that does not lead one to God, therefore is in fact not wise at all. It is a kind of wisdom that led, in fact, to the very first sin. See, I'm convinced that original sin is not pride, as some have supposed. I think pride stems from original sin. But original sin is not pride. It is self-deification. It is making a god of ourselves and worshiping ourselves in contrast to acknowledging and worshiping the living God. Paul said as much in Romans chapter 1 where he wrote, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." And if you think back to that story in Genesis chapter 3, the tempter, the serpent, did not come into the garden and say, fall down and worship me. That was his ultimate goal, of course, but that's not how he packaged it. Rather, he said to Adam and Eve, when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And this has been his appeal to fallen mankind ever since. This is the big lie, the, the true big lie that has been propagated from the beginning of time throughout human history right down to this very day. You will be like God. You will be as gods to yourself. Every false gospel that has ever been proclaimed from the Gnosticism of the first century to the prosperity gospel and even the so-called secular humanism of more recent times. And secular humanism, by the way, is not secular at all, as most of us want to understand that term. It's not something that's neutral because it's disconnected from all the various faith claims that people make in the world. Secular humanism is a false gospel which stands at odds to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of those false gospels has had at its heart the same old lie. You will be like God. You will be, as one poet said, the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. You will decide what is right or wrong for you. And you'll decide that without any appeal or thought for the will of your creator. You will be like God. That is the lie of the devil, and it is the lie that makes its way through every false religion. It's a lie that leads to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. After all, how many little gods can you gather in one room before they start to squabble over who takes precedence. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom that leads to disorder and every vile practice. And of course it does, because once the lie of self-deification has taken hold in the heart, 
once we come to embrace the idea that we can be like God, we can make choices for ourselves, and we can determine the outcome of those choices, then, as Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Or in the words of James chapter 3, disorder and every vile practice. Now what would that look like? Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, the, the Greek word there could easily be translated pleasures, just has the idea of what makes us feel good? What is it we think we need to make ourselves feel good and right with the world? Is it not this, that your pleasures, your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it again on your pleasures, on your passions. You ask for things that you think will make you feel good and will give you that, that sense of well-being that you so desire in this world. You adulterous people. And again, the word in James' manuscript there is adulteresses, just as it was translated in some older versions of the Bible. And he's not charging the people that he's writing to with having committed adultery. He's saying that when these things are true in your heart, you are an adulteress in terms of the bride of Christ who is turning instead to another lover. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And not just the actual friendship with the world, but James goes on to say, therefore, everyone who, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. We don't even have to be a friend of the world. We just have to want it. Everyone who wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Could there be any stronger indictment of earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom? Now, I know that bit about you do not have because you do not ask has very often been removed completely from this context, and it has been preached about prayer in general. I kid you not, some have said that the reason that you personally do not have a Gulfstream 550 jet or a Mercedes AMG S65 is because you haven't asked God to give you one, or you haven't believed hard enough that he will give you one. That is heresy, by the way. Nothing more, nothing less. To say nothing of the fact that it is covered completely under the you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions clause. Now to that extent, the text can be applied to prayer in general. But what is James talking about here? We're, we're in context of a particular letter, and the focus of that letter is not prayer, per se. He's talked about asking already in this book. Now he comes back to that idea, 
And it makes far more sense that James is speaking within the flow of his context than to think that he's just jumping around all over the place. So what has James previously told us to ask for in this letter? What is it we are to ask for that would lead to maturity in Christ rather than to quarrels and fights? And we go right back to chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Because if we choose earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom over the wisdom that is from above, then we have become spiritual adulteresses. We have turned away from the one who called us by his grace, as Paul speaks in Galatians chapter 1, and we are trying or desiring to be friends of the world. And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that is the very essence of foolishness. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And by his very denial, he makes himself an enemy of God. But Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. By the way, that is one of those other texts that just gets picked up in its entirety and dropped in another passage of Scripture where God repeats exactly the same words. It must be important then for us to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, the antidote for the poison... The truth that counteracts Satan's lie is found in the wisdom that God will give without reproach to those who ask in faith. To those who ask for his wisdom, not desiring to make much of themselves, but rather to make much of God. And this, of course, is his desire for his people. Verses 5 and 6, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And someday I'd really like to explore that therefore. Um, It's an old, old adage when you find a therefore in Scripture. Go back and see what it's there for. And it seems to me like this one might be saying that God's grace is found in surprising ways. It's found not only in the fact that he gives grace to the humble. That much is certainly true. We know that. It is also found in the fact that God opposes the proud. Because if he didn't, he'd just be letting us go on in our enmity with him There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. But it's for our good that God rises up in opposition when we seek to walk in worldly wisdom because he jealously yearns over the spirit that he made to dwell in us and he desires that we would turn to him and to him alone. In chapter 3, verse 13, James asked the question, Who is wise? And understanding among you. 
He answered his own question, writing, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And we're on the same track here in chapter 4. He tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he tells us that the root to deeds done in the meekness of wisdom is found in repentance and faith. In verses 7 through 10, James makes this very point, and he makes it again and again and again. See, he gives more grace, but he gives it to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I know series of sermons have been preached on that phrase. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But the two statements of verse 7, and this is all we need to know for this morning, are parallel to one another. We resist the devil by submitting to God. There's no magic formula. There are no words that we need to memorize and speak. We just submit to God. We commit ourselves to him. We commit ourselves to obedience to his word. And in so doing, we resist the devil. And when we do that, when we commit ourselves, when we submit ourselves to God, the devil will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, James is writing to the churches here. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Repent of your desire to be a God to yourself, to make decisions for yourself, to pass judgment on the word of God and say, well, I know God says this in his word, but I don't like that very much, so I think I'm going to go with a little more worldly chain of wisdom. Repent of that. Turn to him in faith. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And what would that look like? Well, not like speaking evil against one another, slandering another, as we saw last week, the one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. James had already told us, don't be someone who just hears the word. Be a doer. Now he's saying, don't be someone who hears and passes judgment on the law because if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. It doesn't look like that. Now see what this wisdom would look like. We return to chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Um, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And if that sounds more than a little like the fruit of the Spirit, that is not a coincidence. There is a strong connection all through Scripture, Old and New Testament, between the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is from above. We might put it in this way. God gives his wisdom through his Spirit, but not through some magical, mystical experience. 
When we ask God to speak to us, his spirit guides us into the truth. His spirit opens and illuminates to us his holy word. The Spirit directs us to the Word, convicting us of sin and assuring us of grace in Christ. And when we receive that wisdom, when we become not only hearers of the Word, or worse still, judges of the Word, but doers of the Word who turn to Him in faith and obedience, we have received that wisdom. And when we do, there is purity, there is peace, there's gentleness, there is reason, mercy, and good fruit. When we receive and walk in that wisdom that God gives from above, the kingdom of God is manifest among us in the good fruit of God's Spirit. See, we can choose unwisely. We can choose earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. We can choose to listen to the teachers and the sages of, of this world who take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. And then there will be disorder and every vile practice. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But if we choose wisely, if we choose wisdom, if we submit and draw near to God, embracing his word, that wisdom that is from above, then a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let me close with James' own words of exhortation and also a promise. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May we pray. Father, we need your wisdom. We need you to speak to us by your word and spirit to draw us near to you, to equip us and give us strength. And Lord, to get to that point, we have to submit. We have to humble ourselves. We have to cleanse our hands. We have to look to you in faith and understand that by ourselves we are nothing. But in Christ Jesus, we are given everything. Every promise that you ever made is yes and amen in him. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you then and recognize that as we turn to you through faith in Christ and as Christ works in us all that is pleasing to him, you will lift us up and exalt us. We pray in his name. Amen.